Hey there, everybody. What is going on? Welcome to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 220. I am amped up on my coffee for those watching. I'm holding up my glorious Yeti cup right here. And today, man, today I'm lit up. So we're going to get to business as quick as possible. I am titling today's podcast. I got it written down right here. Let's go, Brandon. One religion and the slow suicide of Christianity and culture. Yes, isn't that just a daunting, fun, exciting, bummer task that I have before me today? So, Lots to try to cover uh, in all of this as best as I can, but as I go into all of this, there's going to have to be a little bit of explaining probably with the title because some of you may not know what that title is all about, and then I have to get into the event that occurred and everything else, and so I'll tell you the story here in a second, but I always want to get back to the motivation behind this is not that I'm really that interested in being a commentator on things in the news or simply a commentator on cultural events. The whole agenda behind this is so that we as missionaries can recognize some of the poisonous or sour ways that Jesus is being communicated to our society and hopefully from that we can course correct those things. We can actually sound different, uh, communicate in our world differently. Uh, we can call out poor behavior when we see it. We can elevate right behavior when we see it. Because I think that's going to have to be the way forward for the Christian missionary. And when I say Christian missionary, I almost want to clean that up. I did a couple of weeks ago where I talked about that it's less about Christianity even, and it's more about the values and ethics of the kingdom. And so in some ways, what I'm trying to get to is saying, hey, I, I want us to clean up the reputation of people who claim the name of Christ, because then that cleans up the reputation of Christ. That's the heart behind this whole podcast, right? So again, it's not that I get excited and wake up and like, great, I get to talk about the news or I get to talk about problems. No, I'm trying to do this because I continue to analyze and watch and listen. And I'm seeing where there is literally a a death of, of Christianity at its own hands, right? So it's not persecution killing Christianity. It's literally like a suicide pact. Like we're making the suicide pact throughout kind of our shared evangelical heritage here where it's like, let's just double down on being nothing like Jesus all in the name of Jesus and we're going to get stuff done. And from that, all you get done is driving away another generation, driving away some in the current generation, and creating a widening gap between the disbeliever and the believer, not because Christ is so complicated, but because our politics are complicated, the way we communicate our ethics, the way we fight for our ethics, the way we fight for our rights and our privileges, uh, all of that becomes a mess. In fact, even just as a little sidebar, because you're listening or watching right now, uh, there was an article. I was reading this week, actually a couple of different articles where it's it's Christians that feel that they were terminated for their faith or um, organizations that feel that they were slighted for their stand for their faith. And then from that, they lost their jobs or lost funding or whatever it was. And then they turned around and they got a lawyer because they're saying they're being persecuted. And that's one of those things, even when I hear that, where I'm like, okay, so let me get this straight. Uh, Jesus said, when the world persecutes you, get like, get an attorney, get a, get a lawyer, make sure you, you, you get counsel because that's the way you deal with persecution. Like 
it's weird because Jesus writes us this beautiful roadmap on what to do with persecution. And he tells us when we sign up, like, hey, if you sign up to me, you're going to be persecuted, but I'm going to give you the, the living demonstration of how to face that, right? Like the whole event of the cross is a living model of how to face persecution, how to face uh, kind of direct animosity for the essence of the Christian faith. And then we we lawyer up, you know, we, we don't look at the whole like, hey, count it all joy and trust God and model generosity and don't grumble and complain when these things happen. But we just kind of chuck it out the window and we grab instantly onto our rights as opposed to the privilege of suffering for Christ, which it talks about in Acts 4 and 5. And and so it's things like that where I'm like, that is the slow erosion and suicide of what it means to be a distinctly Christian person, or more importantly, a distinctly Christ-like, Christ-following person, because we're running to earthly stuff and we're losing then the opportunity for real mission and witness in those hard times. We we strip it away. And so the world looks and goes, well, then you're just no different than everybody else that gets a lawyer. You're no different than everybody else that has the same fears. You're no different than everybody else that gets bitter about things. You're no different than claiming your damages like everybody else does. So once again, it brings this conclusion that Jesus offers nothing in the way of transformation to the lives of people. And so why do Jesus? In fact, if anything, you guys do Jesus and then you are... Uh, frustrated or you complain or you demand or you know whatever else and and then we all the more are turned off by him because we're turned off by you or it just proves to us that there's nothing really behind your religion other than religion and dogma and creed but not real transformation Jesus likeness or like a, a difference making disposition in the world that you live in like that's the stuff that all kind of comes into play with this stuff right in fact this is why I even think that sometimes while everybody's a hypocrite, I mean, I've said that many times, I believe that every single person, doesn't matter who you are, you're a hypocrite. And if you call somebody a hypocrite, you're kind of hypocritical, totally agree. But Christian hypocrisy is worse. And it's worse because we say we believe a transcendent truth from an omnipotent God that is always watching our lives. And despite all of that, we still do the things that we do. And then on top of that, we're claiming that we have a power from on high, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, all those kinds of things. And yet for all of that, we're still hypocritical. And oftentimes where we're hypocritical is in the places that the disbelieving world looks and goes, this is kindergarten level stuff. Like, you know, the things of the Sermon on the Mount or the fruit of the Spirit. Like these are these are so uh, like patently the very foundations of what Jesus pushed when we don't do those basic things, I'm not talking about the crazy, challenging, hard stuff, but the basic, basic, otherworldly things, the world says, I don't get it. You claim to know God. You claim to fear God. You claim to be empowered by God. You claim these words are from God. You claim that all of this has an eternal importance to you because it all emanates from God. And yet for all of that, you don't do these things. In fact, you do counter these things sometimes. That's what makes our hypocrisy even worse. And so there's this unique pressure that uh, Christians face. And it's this simple reality that that Jesus is like, hey, I'm making you my ambassadors. And being my ambassadors means you actually represent me and you represent the things that are most important to, to me. So what I love, you love. And therefore, from that, we're supposed to do these things. And we're to say, above all else, we do these things, even if we suffer harm. 
right? Even if our lives go poorly for it, it's important enough for Jesus that we do it. I think that's that element or essence that's getting lost more and more and not by everybody, but I think this is why those of us who this resonates with us, we're like, that's right. We need to do this. This is why we need to double down on this and take this stuff even more seriously because there is this temptation to just like when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And Jesus is like, right. I came to the Romans too, but I didn't do like the Romans do. I did like my father would want me to do. I did like what the kingdom would do in Rome. I mean, that is the essence of the incarnation, bringing the kingdom to Rome. And we as believers, as followers of Jesus, need to bring the kingdom to the Rome of our world. But instead, we're becoming like Rome, painfully like Rome. And we're celebrating being like Rome. And we think it's funny to be like Rome. And we think it's a good zinger and it's a great bite to be like Rome. And we think that we do have privileges and rights and entitlement so that Rome should be servicing us. Rome should be protecting us. Rome, oh, Rome is the thing that we're patriotic for more than we are patriotic for the things of the kingdom. And that brings me to Let's Go Brandon, One Religion and the Suicide of Christianity. So let me give you the backdrop to this. So you may not be familiar with this, um, but the phrase Let's Go Brandon was sort of born out of an event that happened at a NASCAR race where one of the one of the guys that was one of the drivers, um, his name is Brandon, I think it's Brandon Brown or something like that. And the commentator was referring to Brandon Brown while at the same time the the crowd at the NASCAR race was saying F Joe Biden. And they weren't saying F, they were bringing the whole blown F U blank K, right? So they were saying F Joe Biden. And then the commentator is like, sounds like they're saying, let's go Brandon. And then that became the big joke that to say kind of openly in public F Joe Biden, you simply say, let's go Brandon. And by that, it's an insider joke that everybody knows what you're really saying is F Joe Biden. Now, the problem with this is not to me, like if you go like, hey, I don't agree with Biden's policies. I don't agree with Biden's politics. Uh, I don't agree with Biden's disposition. I don't agree that Biden is, you know, fit in some way to hold office or whatever else. Listen, that's not my issue. That's not my thing. I don't mind that people see those different things. I don't agree with Joe Biden on everything. There's never been a president I've ever agreed with everything. So it's totally fine. Like that's the thing that is not an issue to me. But one of the things that I do think is important is the idea that it's not Christians running around thinking it's cute or clever to say F Joe Biden, even if it's in code such as let's go Brandon, right? That just doesn't seem applicable, right? I would have said the same thing if Christians were saying F Donald Trump yeah, or F whomever that's in political office or just F whoever in general is just... You might say it, you might get frustrated, you might be angry, you might do things, but if it's like this, ha, that's funny, let's all chant it together, that's a problem. Now, here's why it was a problem. Uh, at John Hagee's church, a large church, I think it's Cornerstone, down in Texas, giant church, right? It's been very politically active for years, everything else. There was this big kind of God and country thing that they did at the church, and the entire group, I'm not going to say it was fully the church, because it was kind of like more like a conference But the whole conference is about we need to reclaim Christ for our country and culture. And so the whole place starts chanting, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. And and so inside a church, 
you have thousands of people chanting F Joe Biden in code, right? During the same event, uh, Michael Flynn was there, right? So former military uh, advisor in general and and had been uh, connected to the Trump administration. I actually think it was connected to the Obama administration on some things too. So, I mean, you know, just sometimes when you're in the military, there's overlap on certain elements. Um, but he gave a speech also in this whole thing where he says, you know, if we're going to be one nation under God, we need one religion in this country, Right. So now you've got this tone of uh, openly as people who are claiming God and country saying F the president right now in code. And then you got another guy saying the way forward for our country, if it's going to be one nation under God, is it needs to be one religion in the nation, which then starts to smack of this whole idea of Christian nationalism and the idea that that. The United States was created as a Christian nation, and we just need to get it back to being a Christian nation and the kind of Christian nation we desire and want, the kind of Christian nation that's rooted in our past more than is rooted in our future, and frankly isn't rooted in Christ, but more in religion, in the name of Christianity, using Christ as an icon, not to live out what Jesus actually commands, actually calls, actually says, actually expects, actually modeled, but to use Jesus as a kind of sock puppet where we just kind of shove our hand up inside him and we make him say what we want him to say so we can secure our own sense of freedom, our own sense of privilege, our own sense of want in this particular world as we see fit. In other words, we try to figure out a way how to G jam Jesus full of Rome so that he becomes the icon of our little Jesus-like Rome and not who he really is, which is our God, our Savior, our King, and the one who calls us to act like him. So the whole conference is a mess, right? It's just an absolute mess. But see, it is it is a snapshot, I think, of the deeper problem that we may be facing, which is, I think, American Christianity is, is coming to a legitimate boiling point. And, and in that, I think part of what is going to make this so difficult or so painful for us in some ways is we've gotten so used to the cantankerous spirit at times, or we've gotten so used to our allegiances being connected to our politics, or we've even gotten so used to the idea that somehow our politics are a reflection of our faith in areas where it's actually not. I want to be clear. I actually believe our faith should inform our politics. I actually believe that we should be political as followers of Jesus. But the problem becomes when it's not Jesus informing our politics, but it's our politics informing our Jesus or our faith. And then we start to care about things that Jesus doesn't care about, or we start to care about things that Jesus actually says the opposite of what we're caring about, but we start to amalgamize it and blend it all together and make it seem like to be Christian is to be these political ideas or to be Christian is to be a, a like a, like a, like a nationalist or to be Christian is to be on the hard right or even on the hard left, honestly. I mean, I, I you know, I often speak to the right side of things because evangelicalism, our camp is like 89% conservative and votes Republican, like that's the huge majority, right? So, you know, I speak more often to that, but it's true too, you know, on the left is a progressive Christian. You can let your politics override what Jesus talks about in other contexts and in other ways. And this is the great danger. And at the core of this was a problem that was true to Israel. And and, and so there's this scene in Jeremiah where, where God is 
I mean, he brings a lot of hammer. You know what I mean? It's like he just brings the thunder throughout that entire thing because Israel was off the rails. And I think in a way similar to how nationalistic Christianity or evangelicalism is a bit off the rails in some quadrants right now. And it's sort of intensifying. And And in this, I bring this up in part because I'm seeing people that I would have not normally associated with that kind of slight hinting at that starting to do that. Like there's a market for it now. There's a desire for the rabble rouser. There's a desire for kind of the saber rattler. There's a desire for the tough talker. There's a desire for the fighter and the winner more than what I talked about last week in the podcast, which is Jesus was a loser and he calls us to be losers. And instantly we don't like that. We're like, no, we don't like losers and we don't want our politicians to be losers or our leaders to be losers. In fact, we want our politicians and our leaders to talk about the other side being losers and them being the winners because that's what we want. And I'm like, but that's not what Jesus talks about at all. Jesus says winning comes by losing. He does not say anything other than that, right? But this is a deep problem that has been true to the human condition, cycles through often, and you see it in Jeremiah. And so God says this. He says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests, they rule at their direction, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? And that sounds doomy, right? But here's what this is interesting to me. When the prophets were prophesying falsely and the priests were ruling at their own direction, under their own accord, for their own goals and gain, all of that was in the spirit of more of a nationalism. All of that was more in the spirit of riling up the people to what they wanted to hear, riling up the people to thinking they were more right than everybody else, that they were being God-obedient, God-wise, God-right in what they were engaging in. And God's like, you guys don't get it at all. It's completely completely broken. It's completely off the rails. There are pieces laying all over the floor of the problems that you all are engaged in and you're not recognizing it. In fact, if anything, you just love to have everybody doubling down on this stuff that you want to hear. And see, that's the risk. When I look and I listen and I hear different people and I see these movements of like, we need to leverage the law to get our rights, or I see these movements and we need to stand against the system and and really you know like like show that that you know this land is our land and we are a free people and we're going to fight for it in these ways and everything else and the ways are not Christ-like ways the ways are just simply kind of angry frustrated demanding commanding ways it comes back to yes people love that they want the fighter they want to be spun up they don't want to be spun down they don't want to be told to be peacemaking they don't want to be told to love their enemies they don't want to be told to be patient or kind or merciful they don't want to actually say you know what we're all going to strive for meekness we have the strength under control we're going to chill we're going to go this extra mile and try to make sure that we can see real unity brought and even if it costs me it doesn't matter if it costs me everything to love my neighbor i'm okay with that Instead, there's this attitude, if it starts to cost me, I will rise up if I need to, because it doesn't matter who my freaking neighbor is if I don't agree with my neighbor and they're risking what I most want. Like, that's the danger. See, that's the real danger at this point. 
And so I, I know so often in this podcast, it's it's different than other contexts that I do stuff in because it has this sense of like urgency or heaviness or whatever. But this, again, is a prophetic call. And I don't mean that like I am a supernaturally inspired prophet. I mean, in the spirit of warning and wake up and hey, listen, guys, we need to all do this much better. It's just giving us the reminder of here's what's going on at a church. They're saying F you to our president. They're calling for one one religion in our country, and that should freak you out even if you're a constitutionalist, right? It should freak you out. But the thing that should most freak you out is that they're all doing it in the name of Jesus. That's the part that freaks me out. If some group wanted to go over there and say, F the president, F Joe Biden, we don't care. We want we want only conservatives to run this country or only liberals run this country. And, and it's just kind of uh, humanistic or nationalistic and, and it doesn't have Jesus attached to it. I don't give a rip. Go do that thing. I don't care. Right? Like, honestly, I go, you're nuts, but I don't care. What I care about is when Jesus gets connected to stuff, when he gets co-opted into the system and it undermines his character, his credibility, his commands to us, it undermines the whole essence of what the kingdom is supposed to do. And then what's sad about it is we, we, if we buy into that system and we think we have to fight for things, we have to stand up against things, but not in the way Jesus told us to do it, but in the way the world anticipates us to do it, it destroys the Christian future. This is why... I said, it's suicide. It's suicide because the very essence of the kingdom and the gospel and its advancement is a choose your own adventure, right? Remember those books? I remember when I was a kid, that was like the only book I would read. I was not a reader until I became an adult, but those books, man, I loved them because it was like, oh, you know, you get to page five and it's like, if you decide to go into the cave, go to page 16. If you decide to turn around and go back to your ship, go to page eight or seven or whatever it was, you know, and, and so you would, you know, like go to the different pages and you'd choose your own adventure. The same is true in our journey with Christ in the world as missionaries. Jesus is like, there's two ways to do it. There's the wide way and there's the narrow way. The narrow way is doing the stuff of the kingdom. The narrow way is living the Sermon on the Mount. The wide way is any other thing than doing the Sermon on the Mount, right? And if you do it any other way, every time in the end, what happens is A, you lose. That's even the passage in Jeremiah. What will you do when the end comes? In other words, you lose because the only thing that changes the world is the stuff of the kingdom being exercised by all of us who believe in Jesus and believe in his kingdom. That's the only way real change comes. And the only way real change has ever came, come to any cultures really has been when the kingdom was the most important thing and not the preaching of the kingdom, not the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. What I'm talking about here, those are true, but what I'm talking about here is actually doing kingdom stuff, right? That's stuff that Jesus says, this is how we live in this world. The, the way that we are the servant to all, like that whole thing, right? That's the thing. So when, when, we, when we lose sight of that, we don't do it that way. The end is always bad for Christianity, bad for the reputation of Christ, bad for the next generations, always bad. But if we do it the kingdom way, it's always good. So what we're needing to focus on and to fight for and to do, what we need to stand up for is to take in a knee. That's what we got to stand up for. What we've got to stand up for is is doing this tough, counterintuitive, upside down and backwards thing that Jesus calls us to. It takes faith, it takes courage, it takes humility, and frankly, it takes belief that what Jesus says actually matters, that you actually believe it. 
I've been talking about this even on Sundays. Like, it's so easy to say, I believe in the gospel. I believe in the Bible. I believe in Jesus. But do we believe Jesus? Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe the gospel? Because if you believe it, then you do it. If you don't believe it and you only believe in it, eh, it's just kind of like mental fodder. You know, it's like, hey, I believe in Pokemon at this point. I believe in whatever else, aliens. I believe in Sasquatch. It's, who cares, man? It's If you believe it, you do it. And if you don't do it, here's the painful thing. You don't believe it. I don't believe it. If I don't do it, I don't believe it. If I don't do the Sermon on the Mount, I don't believe it. If I if I don't actually do what I see in Ephesians 6 where I own that, that my, my enemy and my problem is not flesh and blood, right? but it's, it's something beyond this world, then I don't believe it. If I don't live like that, I don't believe it. I just think it's cute to study it. I love the Greek of it. I understand the history and the culture of it. No, we can all sit around and have a treat after we discuss it. And No, I want us to do it. That's how there's proof that we believe it. Now, at this point, I feel like this is turning into an angry podcast. So I want to apologize for that because, again, this is just stuff that is weighing on me more and more. And and again, I have this deep, deep urgency. Like, like for me, it's like it all rises or falls on this at this point. Like the, the, the future of the church in the United States, the future of Christianity in the United States, it's either going to get back to, because I, I, I honestly go, man, there's a lot of room for us to improve on this. It's either going to get back to or get to, maybe even back to isn't always the right word. It's going to get to being authentically like Jesus authentically like honestly if you're listening go back and just start reading Matthew Mark Luke and John just just parse it out spend the next like 2022 on just those four pieces of literature in the New Testament right just go I'm just going to slowly go through those four and I'm going to look at everything that Jesus does everything Jesus says everything that Jesus expects everything that Jesus warns and the responses that he's we're supposed to have to everything that he tells us I'm just going to do those things I'm going to catalog those things and I want to own those things like that's how we can get back to it but if we don't do that here's what's going to happen in the name of Christ we're going to crucify him again right? In the name of Christ, we're going to crucify everything that is distinctly Christ-like. And we're going to create a type of self-suicide as Christianity in our culture. And we're going to kill ourselves for all the wrong reasons. Because in killing ourselves, what we're really doing is we're killing the Christ in our system. We're getting rid of the Christ and we're just left with this Christendom, right? You go back and study the history of the church, Christendom was kind of the, the byword or the kind of the synonym to Europe, it was a Christless Christianity. And my concern is we're building toward the same thing. Or Christianity is getting ready to even divide over this topic. And more than ever, this is where people who actually believe it, they need to do it. And they need to do it the way Jesus said to do it, in the ways that he said to do it, in the spirit he said to do it, with the conviction that he said to do it. And yet the beauty is this. I believe the world is desperate to see that. Right now, I think the world is very angry at Christianity. And frankly, I don't blame them. I just can't blame them. There are so many times where I'm dealing with critics and they'll bring up things. I'm like, I got no good answer for that. I have zero good response. I can say, well, that's not like Jesus. Don't learn from the Christians. Learn from the Christ, right? I can say all that, but they're like, are you kidding me? Are you nuts? Like, really? So I'm supposed to just focus on the guy in a book 2000 years ago, but your life doesn't need to reflect that or it doesn't reflect that or I don't see that reflected well in your population and culture. Now we got to blow that off and be like, no, I got to take seriously that the world will gauge Christ by the Christian. Therefore, the Christian needs to take back Christianity 
for Christ. Now, it's a rant-a-thon. I've gone from angry to ranty, and hopefully from that, a little inspiry too. I know it doesn't sound like inspiry, like take the mountain, because hey, I think this can be a hard thing. I really do. But I think it's important because, again, what is at stake here is the one that we love. What's at stake here is the one that we believe and believe in and believe in so much we believe that what he says will change the world. And if we really want to change the world, we have to lean into the stuff that he calls us to because that's the only road forward. It's the only real road forward. It is the only narrow way that changes everything. Everything else is just burning time, spinning wheels, wasting energy, and it doesn't make much of Jesus. And so I think if we can learn this and we can own this and we can just kind of incorporate and incarnate the things of Jesus into our daily lives and perspectives and attitudes and responses and dispositions, not only will it change the world, but it'll actually give us joy and peace and comfort and contentment because Jesus promises all of that. Like he's like, when you do my stuff, there's a deep joy. When you don't do my stuff, you become very frustrated and angry. And then you're saying, let's go, Brandon right? Or back during President Trump, you're saying, who is this idiot? And you're mad at him or whatever else. Like like our anger toward our systems, our anger toward our politicians, our anger toward our leaders. Sometimes that anger is really a derivative of the fact that we're not letting Jesus dominate us. Rather, we're just letting our earthliness and frustrations dominate us. And yet Jesus deserves better. And we want more anyway. And so we want to lean into him and to be like him and to seek what he seeks and love what he loves. Because in doing that, man, the world will see some pretty impressive everyday missionaries.